Glad you're here joining with our church family here in the Worship Center, also in Liberty Hill. It's great to have everybody together. I hope you had a great time celebrating your 4th of July with family and friends. And uh, I just want to tell you, we had a really fun time as a family celebrating our independence in our wonderful country where God has blessed us. And one of the things we did together as a family is we played some games together. And one of the games of choice in our family is a game called Farkle. You ever heard of the game called Farkle? It's a dice game. You have six dice, you roll those dice, and according to how those dice turn up, you score points in that game. And you want to get the most number of points to 10,000. The first person to 10,000 is the winner. When you normally play Farkle, there is one winner who gets to 10,000. But that's not very fun because if there's one winner, everybody else is disappointed. So we decided in this Farkle game that there would be one loser. We figure if there's one loser, everybody else is really happy. And so we decided at the beginning of the game that we would create a consequence for that one loser. And before the game began, we agreed that after the game, the loser would then go and jump into the river at around midnight. And everybody agreed to this consequence. Now you can imagine when the dice started rolling that the tension around the game went up significantly. As the game progressed, there became a clear division at the table of the game. There were half the people playing the game that became safe from the perceived consequence. And there were half the table that felt like, I'm at risk. And there was various things said and done during the game where the tension was rising. And after the game settled in a win, a single winner reached 10,000 and identified the real important person, the loser. And in this particular game, her name happened to be Lindley. (laughs) And so at midnight, we all walked down with our flashlights to the edge of the river. And Lindley, with great courage, stood up at the bank of the river out on this huge tree root, mustering the courage to jump, jump into the dark waters of this river. And behind her, someone decided they would help. And this someone shoved her into the river because someone was whispering in their ear that that would be a great idea. Well, the moment Lindley comes out of the water, I think everybody realized that wasn't such a good idea. (laughs) And I felt just a little bit of compassion in my own heart and decided to jump in the river with her. So I jump in, we all get out, we go back to the house. Some of us are laughing, some of us are not. (laughs) We all go to bed, the next morning I wake up, and I think to myself, I wonder where my glasses are. (laughs) And it dawns on me, my glasses are at the bottom of the river. So out of this experience, there was perhaps more regret than anybody anticipated before the Farkle game began. Lindley might regret having played the game at all. None of us regretted her playing. She was the loser. We were glad for her playing. Someone may have and probably should regret pushing her, and someone else should regret having told that someone to push her, and I was neither of those People thank the Lord. (laughs) I definitely regretted that moment of compassion because my glasses were at the bottom of the river. Can you relate to regrets? 
As funny as that story might be, having regrets is not funny at all. Nobody likes to have regrets. To do something in life and then to regret it. What we all would prefer is a life of no regrets, right? But a life of no regrets, more times than not, feels impossible. And all of us who feel regrets over past decisions, we know it's not funny. And for that reason, I am grateful for what God reveals about himself in Joshua chapter 9. So let's read the story together. I'll be reading today from the Christian Standard Bible. You can follow along in your version And I hope you will follow along as we read through the story in Joshua 9. We're going to break down the story into three scenes. And we'll read scene 1, and then we'll read scene 2 and 3, and then we'll kind of put it all together. So let's read scene 1, verses 1 through 15, Joshua chapter 9. When all the kings heard about Jericho and Ai, those who were west of the Jordan in the hill country... In the Judean foothills and all along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea toward Lebanon, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, they formed a unified alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, They acted deceptively. They gathered provisions and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We've come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. The men of Israel replied to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. How can we make a treaty with you? And they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua asked them, Who are you and where do you come from? And they replied to him, Your servants have come from a faraway land because of the reputation of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two Amorite kings beyond the Jordan, the king, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Og of Bashan, who was in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our land told us, take provisions with you for the journey. Go and meet them and say, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we took it from our house as food on the day when we left to see you. But see, now it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. But see, they are cracked. And these clothes and sandals of ours are worn out from the extremely long journey. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions but did not seek the Lord's decision. So Joshua established peace with them. And made a treaty to let them live. And the leaders of the community swore an oath to them. Now when we consider the Gibeonites and their deception, we should consider 
the Gibeonites' belief that motivated them to deception. There are a couple things the Gibeonites believed. The Gibeonites believed that if they could get Israel to make a treaty with them, Israel would keep their word. Gibeonites believed that if they joined with all the other kings in the area, that they would lose. And so they chose to go against everybody around them, and they separated themselves from them, and they pursued the only route they could figure out to freedom. The Gibeonites believed that the God of Israel had given Israel all their land, and that the God of Israel would destroy the inhabitants of the land. And so they did whatever they could possibly do in order to find an escape. Now the most important phrase in scene one is the phrase, they did not seek the Lord's direction or the Lord's counsel, or the Lord's decision. They did not seek the Lord. Do you feel regret in that statement? Yeah. Let's look at scene two, starting in verse 16. Three days after making the treaty with them, they heard that the Gibeonites were their neighbors living among them. Can you imagine that moment? Verse 17, so the Israelites set out and reached the Gibeonite cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chepharah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the community had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then the whole community grumbled against the leaders. All the leaders answered them, We have sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This is how we will treat them. We will let them live so that no wrath will fall on us because of the oath we swore to them. They also said, Let them live. So the Gibeonites became woodcutters and water carriers for the whole community as the leaders had promised Whenever leaders make decisions, it's not uncommon that regret can be found. You know, these leaders, they wanted to make the best decisions for the people. You're not going to find good leaders who wake up in the morning and think to themselves, you know, I'm leading a community of people, and today what I hope to do is make the worst decisions possible for that community. That's not how leaders think. Good leaders, they wake up every day and they think, I want to make the best decisions possible for the community in which I am responsible for leadership. But the fact is that there are times when great leaders make decisions 
that are not the best decisions. And oftentimes the community looks at the decisions of leaders. Even when the decisions of the leaders are the best decisions. And they grumble against the leaders. Leaders want to make the best decisions. They don't always do it. And so oftentimes leaders feel regret. And then the community following the leaders will at times when the decisions are not the best decisions and even when the decisions are the best decisions will grumble against the leaders. And it's my experience that people's behavior and attitudes when they're grumbling against their leaders should create more regret than it sometimes does. Again, you're hearing story here that we can all relate to because we all relate to regret. All right, scene three, verse 22. Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said to them, Why did you deceive us by telling us you live far away from us when in fact you live among us? Therefore you are cursed and will always be slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. The Gibeonites answered him, It was clearly communicated to your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. We greatly feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. Now we are in your hands. Do to us whatever you think is right. And this is what Joshua did to them. He rescued them from the Israelites. They did not kill them. On that day, he made them woodcutters and water carriers as they are today for the community and for the Lord's altar at the place he would choose. You know, my favorite verse in scene three is verse 25. Now we are in your hands. Do to us whatever you think is right. The Gibeonites just cast their lives into the hands of the Lord. And God took a curse and turned it into the greatest blessing the Gibeonites could have ever imagined. See, see, the Gibeonites were one of the groups that were on the list for judgment. And now the Gibeonites had been given an opportunity to be servants in the house of God. What Joshua communicated was a curse would become for the Gibeonites the greatest of blessings. And that's just who God is. God is always looking to redeem the curse of regret and turn it into a life of no regrets. That's who he is. And that's what he does. 
You ever think about your regrets and imagine what it would have been had you not done that or had you not failed to do that or had you made this decision instead of that? Have you ever played out in your imagination because of your feeling of regret what the story would have been like if you'd done something different? I mean, we all do that when we feel regrets, don't we? And it kind of makes me think about this story that's full of regret and wonder what it would have been like had there been a different ending. I mean, what if in verse 14, look at verse 14 again. What if in verse 14, the story read like this. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did seek the Lord's counsel. What would the story have been like if they'd actually sought the Lord's counsel? Gibeon believed in God. Just like Rahab believed in God. You remember what happened in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6? Rahab says, I've heard of the fame of the Lord. That this land is your land and he's going to come in and wipe us out. And we would like to find favor with you. And Rahab was delivered. The Gibeonites believed the same thing Rahab believed about God. And the Gibeonites are motivated by their belief in God. And what God said he would do, and that certainly would happen. So much so that they isolated themselves from everybody else around them. And they pursued whatever means that they think they could pursue to find a way of escape. If Israel had sought the Lord, I suspect that God's counsel to Israel would have been, I want you to help Gibeon in their attempt to believe in me. Because they are way off track and they need help finding a way to mercy. Instead of deception, Gibeon's story would have been far different had Israel sought the Lord and realized that God's mercy was being extended to Gibeon because they were choosing God over their gods, choosing God over the people of their land. They were believing in God, and the only way they knew how to express that belief was in deception. And Israel could have helped them follow the Lord. If Israel had sought the Lord, they would not have regretted not seeking the Lord. They would have avoided division in Israel between the community and the leaders. And they would have been a significant part of the story of Gibeon's salvation. But they didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. And yet God redeemed. God still redeemed. Israel did not seek the counsel of the Lord, and yet God still redeemed. There are two incredible testimonies in this story of God's redemption in the moments of regret. 
The first one is in the fact that when Israel does not seek the Lord, in their regret, they don't turn one sin into another sin. At the moment they realize their mistake, they align themselves to the Lord and instead of multiplying the sin, they do the right thing. They've made an oath with Gibeon. And they made that oath before the Lord. But they did it when they didn't seek the Lord. And now they are going to uphold the oath because it was right for them to honor their word made before the Lord. And so instead of creating more sin and mistakes along the way, they align themselves with the Lord. The only way that a sinful people can stop the natural trajectory of sin, which is multiplying sin, is the redemption of God. You know, sin just multiplies. That's the typical trajectory of sin. If you, if you look at somebody's life who makes a decision to walk into secret sin, sin of the heart that nobody else can see, if that sin remains hidden, is not confessed, brought into the light, and does that person does not move towards repentance from that sin, then that hidden sin will most assuredly become another hidden sin. Because sin always strives to multiply because in the multiplication of sin, sin accomplishes sin's purpose, which is to destroy. Sin intends to destroy, and sin destroys by multiplying itself again and again so that that secret sin builds to become public destruction. That's what sin does. Interject the redemption of God and you can stop the multiplying effect of sin. They made a mistake, but they didn't multiply their sin because God redeems. The other great testimony of God's redemption in this story is the story of Gibeon. And they, they are one messed up group of people. They believe God is going to wipe them out. And so they think that here's the way we're going to try to get our escape. We're going to deceive God's people. I mean, they are so far away from God and who God created them to be that their only way towards God is deception. And what does God do? God rescues them. God did not come back and say to Israel, you didn't seek my counsel, destroy them. No, he came back and he affirmed what they did in rescuing them. He rescued Gibeon from judgment because Gibeon wanted to be rescued just like Rahab. Now, was it imperfect? Yeah. Was it broken? You better believe it. Was it something they should ever do again? Absolutely not. Was it the right way to do faith? No way. But let me ask you this question. Who here in this room did not come to God's redemption out of your brokenness and your sin? I mean, isn't this so many of our stories? How many of you have been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years and would say this morning, 
I don't know how in the world the Lord put up with me in the first three years of my pursuit of him. I didn't have a clue what faith was really supposed to be like. And yet here you are. Because God redeems. He redeems. In light of the fact that everybody in this room has a if only I would have moment. In light of the fact that everybody in this room feels regret, I want to remind you of what a life of no regret really looks like in light of who God is. A life of no regret in light of this story is a life that seeks the counsel of the Lord. Please seek the counsel of the Lord. Please make time in your regular life patterns to open God's Word and say to the Lord, I want to seek your counsel in all matters of my life. All the decisions, all the challenges, all the difficulties. I want to seek your counsel. Would you, Lord, help me to hear you and to see you so that I have paid attention to your counsel. Spend time in the Word of God regularly in your life and spend time before the Lord in prayer, seeking after Him. And I can tell you, one of the greatest gifts you have in front of you is your church community. It's within the church community that you can develop relationships like in a small group or or group of friends and you get together and you say I'm seeking the Lord's counsel but I need your encouragement in my life to keep seeking the Lord's counsel because I know that I have a tendency to not seek the Lord's counsel and to get into situations that I'm going to regret and I need you to encourage me to keep on seeking the Lord's counsel here's an area of my life that I need God's counsel would he might have shown you something in your life that would prove to be counsel for me the church the family of God and the word of God is so important to seeking the Lord's counsel. Make those patterns in your life. I had a friend recently tell me, hey, I would encourage you to consider this challenge. Pray between everything. That just kind of resonated with me. I thought, man, it'd be really cool if if between every meeting or every circumstance or every decision or every change in the flow of my day, I would just take a moment, stop, and pray. Because there's a lot of times when things just get flowing in life and you realize, I haven't sought the Lord's counsel in hours. I haven't sought the Lord's counsel in days. And so I've just... I've just taking that encouragement, I said, I want to be a person who's striving to seek the Lord's counsel. Because here's the thing, a life of no regrets is a life that seeks the Lord's counsel. If the pattern of seeking the Lord's counsel is not in your life, regrets will increase, not decrease. The second thing that I think we need to walk away with in terms of what does it look like to have a life of no regrets is that a life of no regrets help others seek the Lord's counsel. You know, there's a lot of people around us every single day that believe in God. 
I, I promise you, if, if this week you ask five people in your life, your neighborhood, your workplace, if they believe in God, there's a very good chance that the majority of those five are going to say, yes, I believe in God. There are a lot of people around us where we live, where God has placed us, who will affirm that they believe in God. And they're giving some attempt periodically in their life towards faith. It's just that most of them have no clue how to live a life of faith. Because they have not sought the counsel of the Lord. They simply believe in God and they try to manufacture some step toward Him that is as far from what He intends for them as they could imagine. You know, there's a lot of people who say, I believe in God. And you'll say, well, how's that working out of your life? Like, what's happening? And they'll say a bunch of things about what they do or don't do because they believe in God. And it won't have any inkling of a connection to God's Word. There are people around us like that everywhere. You know what those people need? They need somebody to come alongside them and say, if you believe in God, here's what it looks like to actually follow Him. A life of no regrets must include helping others seek the counsel of the Lord. And so I just want to challenge you this week, between this Sunday and next Sunday, ask one person in your life that you don't know whether or not they believe in God. Just say, I was curious, do you believe in God? And if they say yes, ask them, where do you find out how to follow Him if you believe in Him? And just see what they say. And it might be that God is preparing someone in your life who does believe in Him, but just needs some help figuring out how to follow Him. And you might be the only one who has asked the Lord for His counsel a little bit ahead of them and is in a position to help them also seek the counsel of the Lord. That's a life of no regret. And whenever we fail in our lives to seek the counsel of the Lord, and it creates regrets when we do that, whenever we do that, or whenever our faith, our attempt at displaying our faith and following the Lord doesn't really measure up with everything it's supposed to be, or whenever we are not seeking the counsel of the Lord and helping others seek the counsel of the Lord, and it creates regrets in us. Whenever those things are happening to us, please do not forget that God redeems. He redeems. And in light of God's redemption, be quick to leave your sin. Don't multiply it. Turn to the Lord, confess your sin, and strive in repentance. Because here's the thing. Nobody ever regrets repentance. We're going to regret a lot of mistakes we've made. But I promise you this, we'll never regret coming to the Lord out of those mistakes and striving in repentance. The reason we won't ever regret repentance, just like 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 tells us, is because of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. The love of God covers 
a multitude of sins. God redeems. Don't multiply your sin. If you're in a sin today, come out of that sin and align yourself with the Lord and begin to seek his counsel. Because sin will find a way to multiply. And that multiplication will lead to destruction that is far more public than your sin is right now. It's much better to come out with your sin before the Lord and to align yourself with him and trust that you won't regret repentance. Turn to him quickly and trust that the Lord will take even the consequences of your sin and redeem them into something that speaks of his glory. Isn't that what he's done in our lives? And shouldn't we trust him to keep on doing that? I want you to look at verse 27. The last verse in the story. On that day he made them woodcutters and water carriers as they are to today. For the community and for the Lord's altar at the place he would choose. you know where God chose for his altar to be for over 150 years? Do you know where God chose for his altar to be until Solomon constructed the temple in Jerusalem? God chose for his altar to be in Gibeon for over 150 years. God gave Gibeon direction He gave them protection. He gave them a sense of belonging. And he made the curse of their slavery into the greatest blessing they could imagine. And he turned the Gibeonites' home into his home. That is redemption. And that's exactly what God wants your story to be. John 14, 23, Jesus says... If anyone loves me, he will obey my commands and my Father will come and we will make our home in him. You know where God wants his home to be? In you. And that is what redemption is all about. And that's the only way to find freedom from regret and to live the life you were created to live. I can't imagine why we would not trust the Lord. 